This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Nally. Our guest this week is Tom Stenzel, President and CEO of the United Fresh Produce Association. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the National Crop Insurance Services. America's crop insurance industry provides individualized protection on more than 290 million acres of farmland. Crop insurance remains the smartest, most efficient way to serve America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with Tom Stenzel next. America's crop insurance industry is thankful for the continued support of farmers, commodity organizations, rural businesses, lenders, and lawmakers who are fighting to maintain a strong farm safety net. The National Crop Insurance Services provide individualized protection on more than 290 million acres of farmland. Crop insurance remains the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. Fresh off a very successful Washington conference last week, Tom Stenzel and members of the United Fresh Produce Association are focused on the issues at hand, including trade, labor, and the development of a 2018 farm bill. Specialty crops were first included in the 08 farm law. Stenzel says they're focused on some key areas in the new language. What we've tried to work on is competitiveness of our industry, funding of research dollars, funding of food safety support, things that really are going to help our industry be more competitive in the future. You know, I, I repeatedly say that, you know, we want a safety net, absolutely. And crop insurance has been an important part of that in some of our different commodities. But at the same time, we're really about how do we become more efficient, more uh, effective? How do we grow demand for our products? Uh, and that really is the key to what we're looking for in the next farm bill. With that, some information lately suggesting there is room for growth with crop insurance and fruits and vegetables. Yeah, I think that's probably right. Um, it's a challenge, again, because there's so many different sectors in fruits and vegetables. You know, a, a crop insurance program for one is not going to fit exactly right for the other. So there's a lot more um, uh, differentiation and individualization that's got to take place. Uh, and it's a relatively new area, you know, for a lot of our commodities. I think the permanent crops, the tree fruits, uh, uh, have had more experience. But, you know, even now you look at, you know, what's happened in, in Florida and, and some of the other areas of damage. We're kind of learning how crop insurance works for different commodity sectors and hopefully can make some improvements in the next farm bill. How would means testing fall within the opinion of your group? Well, that's a tough one for us because, as you know, uh, fruits and vegetables are very high-value crops. So in that sense, you, know, you can have a really small amount of land that's got a very high value in it. And we don't want to be shut out of uh, crop insurance just because you're growing a high-value crop. To the alternative, you, know, you really should be included in that type of program. So you were one of the first groups to offer what you see as needed for 18 farm policy. What's top of the list? You know, there are probably four or five areas that we see in the specialty crop sector. First, we have a, a major program called specialty crop block grants. And because of the uniqueness of fruit and vegetable ag, we have a program where it really drives that support to the states. 
so the, the funding is proportional based on how many crops they grow and, and the dollar value of fruit and vegetable, especially crops in each state. So in our sector, California gets the biggest, Florida gets the second, etc. But every state in the union gets something to support their specialty crop sectors based on you know the size of their industry. Because we can't sit in Washington and know what's going to work in, in Oregon uh, w- with their berry uh, business or New Jersey peach business. So it's really important to us to, to have that state-based program. So that, that may be number one. I don't want to rank them because we feel like all these are important. Uh, we have a specialty crop research initiative uh, in the Farm Bill that we think is critical to funding future research. Now, one of the tweaks that we're suggesting for that program this time is to have a special focus on uh, mechanization. You know, I'm going to transition here, Jeff, on you to, to our ag labor crisis. We have probably the, the largest crisis we've ever had in shortage of workers, uh, and it's only getting worse. So one of the things we're looking to the next farm bill to do is put some research money into uh, mechanization, robotics, uh, increased productivity, uh, field harvesting, uh, all of those kinds of things because long term, you know, that's probably the biggest threat to our industry. Certainly we want to have that conversation on labor. I'm also told that perhaps inside this discussion of an 18 farm bill, we may be talking about urban agriculture. Does that fall under your wing? There is a tremendous amount of investment in our sector going into urban farming, going into controlled farming, everything from greenhouse, traditional greenhouses, to hydroponics, to vertical farming indoors using ultraviolet light. So I think you're starting to see this industry start to shift a little bit. It's still small. you know, It's not going to dominate um, uh, the industry, but... I do think that that's going to be an important part of uh, farm policy. Well, whether it's urban agriculture or it's traditional agriculture with uh, fruits and vegetables and specialty crops, the one component that is common is labor. It is a labor-intensive business, and labor has been an issue for you for some time. And from uh, the meeting that you held last week, the comments from Judiciary Chairman Bob Goodlett, it tells me this issue is not going away. Is there any hope for success here? <laughs> oh, I don't know. Is it last half full or half empty? <laughs> it, it, you know, it may not even be halfway yet, it, but maybe it's a quarter full. This has been an, an issue for our industry for a long, long time. Uh, a number of us have worked on uh, our ag labor issues, our workforce issues for, for almost 20 years. Uh, but it's just, it's gotten to a breaking point. Uh, we don't have enough workers. Um, the workers who are here are aging out. Uh, the average age of a harvest worker now is in the mid-40s. And if you think about this, this is really strenuous work. It's, it's uh, challenging work. Uh, it's not being replaced. We're not seeing any kind of cross-border uh, immigration to support agricultural workforce these days. Uh, for those people who worry about, um, you know, that unauthorized, you know, crossing of the border, uh, there's actually a net export uh, of workers from Mexico, from the U.S. going back to Mexico. It's not coming this way. So, so we really see the future as, as requiring two things. 
there's got to be some transition for the current workforce uh, into legal status. Uh, if, if those folks still are having to stay, you know, in the shadows, um, it's not helping them. It's not helping our country, and we ought to just face the fact that our food supply is dependent upon the hard work uh, of hundreds of thousands of people who who need legal status, and we need to find a way to make that happen. Uh, the second part of that is a future guest worker program. We absolutely have to have a new flow of workers because, like I said, even those who are here are aging out. Uh, their kids who were born here, some of them are dreamers, uh, but those kids are going to college, you know, becoming doctors and lawyers and, and all those things, and, and we need a future flow of guest workers coming into the country. How do you receive Chairman Goodlatte's thought of a new H2C program? Is it the next step or the end all? You know, I, I think I'd say this isn't the end game, but it's certainly the only game. It's the only game today, and I will say this. Chairman Goodlatte has really done a good job moving forward. He's listened to agriculture. Um, you know, He understands these issues, but he also understands the politics of it. Uh, if I could snap my fingers, you know, we would push for, you know, an instant solution on both the, the current workers and a guest worker program. But we can't do that. We're going to have to build a coalition. We're going to have to uh, pass legislation out of the House Judiciary Committee. We're going to have to have something that the, the House will pass on the floor. Then we got to go to the Senate, and it's an entirely different world in the Senate. So, so we really like what Chairman Goodlatte's done. Uh, it's not perfect. Uh, it doesn't address everything we think we need, but, but we're strongly supporting his effort to um, get that bill introduced and, uh, and get it through Judiciary Committee and out to the House. Tom, last year I had a chance to speak with those involved in the cotton industry, and their situation was they weren't just worried about losing a crop. They were talking about losing an industry that if you're not going to have producers, there's not going to be the, the, the manufacturing and the rest to support cotton production, and you're seeing a sea change uh, uh, of an industry going away. Is the labor situation in the specialty crops and our fruits and vegetables, is it to a point now that you're changing the face of that industry and limiting opportunity that's there by existing consumer demand in place today. That's absolutely what's happening. If you look at uh, strawberry acreage in California, we're down for the second or third year in a row. Yet strawberry consumption is continuing to go up. Consumers want strawberries, but they can't find the labor to grow them in some of those very traditional uh, growing areas in California. This is going to be rippling across the country. It's not just you know a one-state issue. It's true in the southeast. You know, it may even be uh, more impact in the north and in Michigan and Ohio and some of those areas as the workers really don't need to do as much migration uh, because there's so many jobs that they they can stay more in a region area. You know, old days they would move up the east coast. They'd start in Florida and go to Maine and then come back. Uh, but we heard this summer you know, that there was even harder time for some of our, our growers uh, in the northern uh, areas to get their summer help. I've talked to growers in Texas and in other states who have suggested they have markets for crops that are labor-intensive, but because they can't get labor, they're shifting to crops that allow more mechanization than workers. Yeah, absolutely no question that, that we see farmers uh, who are shifting into row crops and 
you can only see that trend continuing. So the idea of research and mechanization, you know, look at it this way. If you can develop a, a harvesting uh, machine that is able to uh, replace, you know, 20 or 30 workers on a crew, I mean, it's not like we're taking jobs away from people. Those are jobs that aren't filled right now. So there's no displacement of workers taking place in the ag industry. Uh, it's only uh, additive, basically. Uh, one of the more interesting things, I mentioned the strawberries, is, is probably oh, the canary in the coal mine on labor. It's such a labor-intensive crop. Uh, we've now got two or three companies that are in prototype with robotic harvesting that picks strawberries. Now, if you can imagine going down a row of strawberries, it's you know different shapes, different sizes. It's the tiniest fruit. To be able to to pick that strawberry without damaging it, without crushing it or bruising, um, to recognize with cameras, you know, when it's ripe, this one is bright red and this one is is pink and this one is white. It's just amazing to think about that technology, but. It's getting to the point where if you want to harvest strawberries, we're going to have to invest that kind of money. That's where I see USDA and, and federal farm policy really being able to help. If, if we're serious about helping the farmers today, we're going to have to invest in some of those things in addition to just, say, new plant varieties. And here's where topics then begin to collide because now we're talking about the renegotiation of the North American Free Trade Agreement. And there are things clearly here where the consumer base in the country is dependent upon and counting on trade, but maybe not to the best of our industry outlook. You know, it's a complicated matter, and, you know, I'll come back to the diversity of our our industry. Um, Trade has affected different commodities different ways. It's affected different regions in different ways. But on the whole, on the average, uh, trade across the NAFTA countries, but trade with Korea, trade other free trade agreements. Heck, we supported the the TPP, the Trans-Pacific Partnership, because really trade is going to be the ultimate answer for our industry overall. We've got to continue to grow that. And, you know, we can't separate out what's good for the producer from what's good for the consumer. It's got to be good for both. And for consumers, having a year-round supply of, of fresh, high-quality, low-cost fruits and vegetables, that's a good thing. You know, I'll come back to what I said about public health. You know, we need to be eating more fruits and vegetables. So look at the example of avocados that have quadrupled per capita consumption during the NAFTA period. Where did they come from? They came from Mexico. At the same time, my California avocado growers have been very successful. They've lost no volume. It's been incremental. And if you actually look at the returns back to the grower of California avocados, they've had some of their best years in the last five years. One of the sticking points in the NAFTA talks may well be those who would like to provide some seasonal fruit and vegetable farmers some added protection from crops coming in south of the border when they're in surplus. Yeah, you know, Jeff, it's a challenge. And I understand the competitive situation of those folks. I mean, you know, there are growers and, um, you know, but we have growers across the country and we have, represent people who, U.S. companies who are bringing product in from Mexico or Canada or around the world. So you try to balance that out. What I've heard from most of my agricultural brethren is you know pretty deep concern that if you start down the path of of protecting a narrow uh, interest, 
like that, it's going to come back in some other area. Um, I, I saw a piece the other day about um, the pork industry, the U.S. pork industry, saying, hey, wait a minute, if, if you do that for certain fruits and vegetables, then the Mexican government, Mexican pork industry is going to block us on certain times. So we have to be careful in terms of uh, you know, unintended consequences. You know, what we've talked with, with some of those folks about who, who are pushing this is, is a, a new anti-dumping approach really the, the best instrument to tackle some of the challenges they have? It's a very blunt instrument. It's not precise. It's not targeted. And it would be years and years down the road and millions and millions of dollars of legal cases before you get any benefit, even if you did, uh, if you could prove dumping on a seasonal basis. So what we're looking at is, okay, you're in a particularly competitive industry. How does this next farm bill uh, come into play? Can we help uh, industries uh, be more successful? Can we uh, provide support, not subsidies, but can we support them? Can we drive mechanization in the Florida strawberry industry that will help those people be more successful, lower their cost structure, and therefore compete more effectively? So. Instead of just putting up barriers, we really look at this as, you know, let's invest in the future. Describe a world where NAFTA fails for the U.S. produce industry. You know, this is a tough one. Uh, I still see potentially uh, the U.S. walking away from NAFTA. If that happens, you know, all the higher tariff levels kick back in, uh, trade is disrupted. And if you look at what's happened in our sector over the last 25 years, our value chains, our supply chains are so integrated today with produce, different commodities moving in different directions among all three countries. We have a tremendous amount of investment now in the United States from either Mexican or Canadian companies. So some of the greenhouses I was talking about earlier that have been built in Roanoke, Virginia, uh, been built in Ohio, been built in Michigan, in Texas. Those are funded and they have capital investment from partners in Mexico and Canada. So the integration of our supply chains really speaks to not walking away. You know, hey, let's work to make it better. Let's see where we can compromise at something where we have a win-win-win across all three countries. But... Um, yeah, if some one of the partners uh, walked away from NAFTA, uh, you'd see a pretty big disruption in the marketplace. Tom, let's take a minute and move back to a policy discussion. Uh, we'll call it a farm bill, but it's really more about nutrition and more about the Supplemental Attrition Assistance Program. What needs to be said? What needs to be resolved in this 18 food and farm bill that affects your industry the most? You know, one of the key questions, and it's been out there lingering for a long time, is, is this just a all-food program, or is it meant to be a healthy food program? And for the first time, I think this uh, 2018 Farm Bill, we're going to have a pretty rigorous debate on how should federal tax dollars be spent? Should the recipients just be able to buy anything they want? Or should there be potential restrictions on, on less healthy food? I mean, it's a difficult issue. Uh, not everybody agrees. But our, our other federal programs, the WIC program, Women, Infants, and Children, is basically a healthy foods package. It has meat and dairy and, and fruits and vegetables and you know all of our agricultural commodities. 
but it doesn't have you know some of the processed foods that you know have been more criticized. So I think that debate's going to take place. Where we are as, as an industry, as an association, is supporting the debate. We want all sides to get up and let's have that conversation. Let's not sweep it under the rug anymore. Uh, we need to have that discussion about how tax dollars can best be spent and what's best for the recipient's health. At the same time, last Farm Bill introduced a program of incentives. It's a pilot program, but incentives for SNAP recipients to to buy more fruits and vegetables. For example, uh, some of the pilot programs are called Double Up, and if a SNAP recipient uses their food stamps or their credit to buy $5 worth of fruits and vegetables, they get another $5 on top of that that they can use either in that visit or another visit to the store. Those are pretty effective. Uh, we're starting to see some of the results from the early years of those pilots, and we're learning best practices, how to do that. So it may just be that in this farm bill, that incentive program can get ratcheted up. You know, we'd love to see more investment in that. We'd love to see more um, money go that way, more major retailers participating, because really that may be the compromise, if you will, uh, with those people who say, oh, restrict all these other foods. Uh, maybe let's incentivize, um, and that may be more acceptable than restricting. Tom Stenzel, we want to thank you very much for taking time to talk with us here on Open Mic, a good conversation about the produce industry and, and certainly our consumers. But it is Open Mic, and you get the last word. Well, Jeff, thanks so much. Um, this is fun. It, it really is top of mind right now after we had um, you know all of our industry leaders in Washington last week. But these were the messages we were taking to Capitol Hill. And uh, for those who are listening out there in the fruit and vegetable industry, let me ask you, make sure to uh, tell your congressman when they're back in the district about these issues. Tell them about the challenges you have with labor and, and all of the issues. Make sure that they are hearing from you. Our thanks to Tom Stenzel, President and CEO of the United Fresh Produce Association, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the National Crop Insurance Services. America's crop insurance industry is thankful for the continued support of farmers, commodity organizations, rural businesses, lenders, and lawmakers who are fighting to maintain a strong farm safety net. Crop insurance remains the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Alley. 